Well, good morning, First Church. How are we doing today? Good. Thank you to Stephen, wherever you are, for reading the longest passage of Scripture that we've read in a while. I felt a little bad that I'd made him read so much. Uh, but I'm, I'm grateful to be here today. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit strange without my guitar to hide behind this morning, but uh, that's okay. Uh, my name is Dave Conrad. For those of you who I haven't had the chance to meet yet, oh, there we go. Are we okay? Okay, perfect. Um, I've been attending this church for the last year and uh, a bit. My wife and her family have been attending the church for, for many years before that. And I'm excited this morning to share with you what I believe God has laid on my heart over the past few weeks uh, for myself and for, and for us this morning. So let me pray. Father, we are grateful to the work that you are doing in this church, the work that you're doing in our lives. We're grateful for the journey that you have led each of us on, Lord, to this place, to this morning, to be here. And Father, as we, as we, as we read the work that you did with your people years and years ago, and as we think about the ways that you're working in our lives right now, would you speak clearly to us? Amen. I can grab this handheld, Mark, if that's... No? Are we okay? Okay. Sorry. So early on in the pandemic, um, when we were stuck at home, my family, there was just three of us at the time, we just had a, a then two-year-old who's now almost five, but we quickly ran out of ways to entertain our daughter. There was only so many blanket forts that we could build, only so many library books that we could read and read and read again. There was only so many neighborhood walks that we could go on before our toddler got very bored. And so to pass the time like my mom did with me when I was a child, I began making up stories for our daughter, Nora. And our daughter, I don't, if you've met her, you know that she has a very, very active imagination. And so these stories took off with her in a major way, and soon she was requesting these stories from me every single day. Every single day. And I'm not a very creative or imaginative person, but with nothing else to do other than be stuck at home, uh, we began to create this imaginary world together full of different characters and different areas and different adventures that they could go on. Now, eventually, we had to limit these stories to three times a week because a story every single day, the stories were becoming very, very boring. And to this day, Nora knows exactly when Friday, Saturday, and Tuesday are, because I'm still telling these stories three years later. And sometimes when I'm telling a story to her and I run out of things to say, when I run out of ideas, when I don't know where to go next because I'm tired or because we have something to do or because it's bedtime or maybe I just don't know what else to say, I will end the story. And I'll say, well, we'll start it again. We'll, we'll pick it up the next day. Nora calls these two-parters. Two-parters. And it gives me some time to come up with more ideas for the story. Usually I forget and then I have to come up with them on the spot the next day. But every now and then I will intentionally build up the story and build it up and build it up and build it up and then leave it right in the middle of a suspenseful moment. A cliffhanger moment. Or, as Nora calls them, a hifklanger moment. And she hates it when I do this. She complains. She can't wait for the story to resolve. She can't wait for what's next. 
and what's going to happen with this imaginary world that we've created together. Sometimes I'll, I'll build it up intentionally and leave it at a suspenseful moment just to hear her say, Daddy, you're not supposed to end on a hiff clanger because it is so cute. I don't think we like to live in those moments either. None of us like living through cliffhanger moments. None of us enjoy the period of time during a change before things have been resolved. But the reality is that we are constantly living through hiff-clanger moments. Illness in your family or yourself, change of an employer, the change of a job, the change of a boss, kids growing up and moving out, attending a new church, your pastor retiring, a new pastor starting. Our lives are filled with moments of change and transition. And when I reflect back on my life and my journey with Jesus, it's in those seasons of change, of transition, that I have felt the Holy Spirit speak most clearly to me. Now, I think all of us, we all react to change very differently. Some of us, and I know there's a few of us in this room this morning, thrive on change. And I don't know why you're like that, but some of us love it. Something about the new, the different, the prospect of transition excites you. It gets you excited about the future. And then the rest of us react a little differently to the prospect of change. We get stressed, we get anxious, we lose sleep, we get headaches, we get irritable, which I assure you, that's never me, I would never get irritable. Um, we get intolerant of uncertainty. We're wired to want certainty in our lives. There's this term in psychology called intolerance of uncertainty. And it's the tendency to view any uncertainty in life as a threat. This can reveal itself in a number of ways. The constant reassuring of, uh, seeking of reassurance from others in your life. Double and triple checking everything. Not allowing others to do certain tasks because you know that you can do them better. And by keeping oneself constantly distracted and busy. We often default to seeing change in our lives, transition in our lives, those periods of, of transition as a negative thing, as a threat. And this can often lead us down the path of anxiety and worry. See, we can either view change as an opportunity to allow God and the Holy Spirit to lead us, to speak to us, to excite us about what's coming, or we can allow ourselves to be led down the path of anxiety and worry, like so often I do. Now, I realize that what I just said is a, a very gross oversimplification of our lives, the things that we experience, but the truth is that life changes. We all know that. We've all experienced it. Circumstances beyond our control changing. It's that old cliche that the only constant in life is change. But the truth is that in the midst of that change, we serve an unchanging God who will never leave us or forsake us, regardless of what happens in our lives. As you read through Scripture, as you read through the Old Testament, leading into the New Testament, as you read through the story of God's people, and as you look at the story arc of all leading up to Jesus and the redemption, it's full of those uncertain cliffhanger moments. Moments between what was, what used to be, and the uncertainty of what's to come. And in so many of those moments as I read scripture, I see my own life reflected. 
And we're going to go back a long ways. We're going to go back to Moses and the Israelites this morning, as you probably picked up already. Um, Moses was the leader of the Israelites. And God had worked in miraculous ways in and through Moses. They had seen him do incredible things. God protected Moses as a baby and gave him the tremendous task of leading the Israelites out of slavery and into the land that God had promised them. Moses confronted Pharaoh, and the, who held the Israelites captive, and God performed sign after sign after sign until the Israelites were allowed to leave. And then when they were finally allowed to leave, as we know, the Pharaoh changed his mind and sent his army after them. We have the parting of the Red Sea, the final escape from Egypt. The Israelites had seen God work time and time and time again, miraculous ways leading them out of slavery toward the land that had been promised to their ancestors. After, after parting the Red Sea, after crossing the Red Sea, Moses led the newly freed nation to the edge of the promised land where they sent 12 scouts across the river into the promised land to report back on what they'd seen. At the scouts' reports, most of the scouts' reports of nations, cities, and armies that the Israelites would have to face to gain their land, the Israelites rebelled against God. They rebelled against Moses. They conspired together to choose a new leader and to flee back to Egypt and back into slavery. After all they'd seen God do, after all the miracles they had been witness to, after all the incredible ways that God had saved them, they were so terrified that they would rather go back to slavery than trust in God. Numbers 14, starting in verse 1, says this. It says, then the whole community began weeping aloud. They cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? This is their response. They had just seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet they chose anxiety and worry and disbelief. I see myself in that response. I remember this one moment in my life very clearly um, quite a few years ago. Certain things in my life hadn't gone how I'd wanted them to go. I was living through a cliffhanger moment. Every time I say cliffhanger, I have to pause and make sure I'm saying it right now. Um, that I was living through the in-between season of what used to be and what was to come, the unknown uncertainty of the future. I was struggling to articulate my thoughts and my emotions. I was complaining to God. I was asking him questions. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And not getting any answers. And I remember sitting in Starbucks, uh, the Starbucks parking lot, in my car waiting for a friend to show up to, to talk to. And I was praying and complaining and angry at God and upset with him. And I had a music, a playlist a worship playlist going on in my car in the background. And as I was sitting there complaining and grumbling and, and questioning God, a song started playing on this playlist that I hadn't heard in at least 10 years. And as the song played, I was immediately transported back in my memories to the times in my life where God had done miraculous things. And in that moment in my car, in the parking lot of Starbucks, I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, if I was with you then, surely I'm with you now. How quickly 
we forget the work that God has done. After the Israelites question, they doubt, they grumble, they complain, they rebel, God in his mercy pardons them with the caveat that they have to wander the desert for 40 years so that no one who saw God's glorious presence and miraculous signs he performed in the desert and Egypt would see the promised land. Instead, the promised land would be for their children, their children's children, and so on. And so we follow the Israelites into the desert to wander. An entire nation wandering between what was and what was yet to come. It's so easy for us, I think, well, at least it's so easy for me, I don't want to speak for you, but it's so easy for me to shake my head at the Israelites, to declare that surely, surely after seeing God do such miraculous things and saving them in such dramatic ways, they would trust God more. Surely I would never be so fickle, so quick to forget the things that God has done in my life. And so for 40 years, the Israelites were kept in that moment, living between what was and the promise of what was to come. They were being disciplined because of their disbelief and their rebellion against God, yet even in that discipline, God still provided for them. He didn't abandon them. He worked. He revealed himself to them. He provided them with food and water. He protected them, and he revealed himself to them throughout their wandering in the desert. Deuteronomy 2.7 says this about their time wandering in the desert. It says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in everything you have done. He has watched your every step through this great wilderness. During these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked nothing. And my question to us, I'll probably ask a few questions of us this morning, but do you find yourself in a desert season today? This year, this week, the last few years? A season between what was and the uncertainty of not knowing what's to come. When I reflect back on my life, my relationship with Jesus, the times I have seen him work the most Miraculous ways have been through those seasons. Through frustration, the pain, the tension, the anxiety-filled moments of my life. It's in those moments that he has proven himself over and over and over again. But, like the Israelites, I so quickly forget. Like the Israelites, I seem to forget the many times God has worked miracles in my lives, the many times I have clearly seen him work. And I find myself complaining and grumbling and rebelling and saying, God, where are you in my life? Because we forget to remember. We're so focused on what's next in our society and our culture. We're so focused on what's to come that we fail to remember what God has already done. We forget to reflect back and look at what he has done and what he is doing right now. Kristen can attest, probably very much so, that I am a very forgetful person. I've had moments of scouring our house to look for my phone, only to realize it's in my pocket. Or scouring our house looking for my phone, only to realize that the flashlight that I'm using to look for my phone is my phone. <laughs> but I think God in his infinite mercy helps us remember 
And God, in his infinite mercy, helped the Israelites remember and set up reminders to the miracles that he had done. One of the things that was in the Ark of the Covenant after, after God provided manna to feed the Israelites is he instructed them to take some manna and put it in the Ark of the Covenant so that they would not forget. And as we look back on what Stephen just read, and we'll read it here again in a moment, he helped the Israelites remember his miracles. After 40 years of wandering, it was finally time for them to cross over into the promised land. Again, just like at the Red Sea, God stops the water flowing so that they can walk across the Jordan River into safety, into the next thing, into the future. So let's read Joshua 4, 4 4-9, and 21-24 again. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, right from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When across the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. He took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over, and over with them into their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where his priests had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Jumping ahead to, to verse 21. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. See, God knew the Israelites would forget. He knew they were a forgetful people. And so he helped them create a monument to remind them of the work that he had done in their lives when they doubted. When their children asked, they could look at these stones, they could look at this monument, and they could remember the miracles that God had worked in their lives. I read a quote when preparing for this today, and it really resonated with me. I said this, it said, memory can be a wellspring of praise. When we pause to think about the work that God has done in our lives, when we reflect past on the past things he has done, it creates within us this overflow of praise and joy because of the work that he has done. So church, when was the last time you paused to remember? We do this as a community when we take communion together. We stop to remember what Christ had done for, has done for us. But how often do we pause in our lives to reflect where we have seen God at work personally, 
in our day-to-day, in our our week-to-week, in the jobs that we work, the things that we do, the tasks that we accomplish, the busyness, the chaos, the to-do lists, it becomes very hard for us to live in a reflective way. When our youngest daughter, Ivy, was born, I found myself spending quite a bit of time every evening in her, in her room in our nursery rocking her to sleep. I had the underslept zombie mind of a parent with a newborn, but I also all of a sudden had this span of time that I didn't really know what to do with. I couldn't turn the light on. I couldn't read a book with the light on. I couldn't watch TV because I was trying to get her to go to sleep. And so I had to find something simple to do to keep me awake so I didn't fall out of the chair asleep. And so I downloaded a journaling app on my phone and I started working through something called the daily examine prayer every single night as I rocked my daughter to sleep. Now the daily examine is, is, is a prayer technique that Christians have been using for hundreds of years. It's a simple, habitual tool that we can use at any point throughout the day to pause and reflect on where we've seen God at work and where we've seen him provide for us and those around us. There's a lot of formats to it, but uh, at its very basic, most simple, most simple form, it's five steps. Step one, give thanks. Spend a few moments in gratitude for who God is and what he's done in your life. Step two, ask for light. Ask God to enlighten you, to show you where he's, he's been present in your day. Reflect on your day. And then step three is examine the day. Think through the events and interactions of your day, noticing where God was at work. Seek forgiveness, face your shortcomings of the day and ask for forgiveness and then look forward to the next day. Five, ten minutes is all it really takes. And I think it's really important for us As we go throughout our days, as we go throughout our weeks, as months turn into years, as years turn into decades, as life goes on, it's so easy to forget, to remember what God has done. It's so easy for us to not see the work that God is doing around us simply because we don't take the time to see. We need to live in a reflective way so that we can be aware of the work that God is doing in us and around us. And so what season are you in today? Do you feel like you're wandering a desert right now? I'm sure there's those of us in this room who feel that. Who feel like they're caught between what what used to be and an uncertainty of what is still to come. The past no longer attainable, but the future a terrifying unknown. There's a song that that we sang this morning and a line from that song that's been ringing through my mind for probably the last six months. And I had to to look it up. I I could remember this line. I knew it was from a hymn. I didn't know what hymn it was from, but it's been resounding in my mind and in my heart for the past six months. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. How I've proved him over and over. When we reflect on the work that God has done in our lives, when we think back 
to those moments where we have seen him clearly at work. God fills us with joy and it helps us trust him as we approach something that may be unknown or scary or terrifying. Ryan and his team are going to come and sing that song with us again. But I would encourage you this morning as we sing in the busyness and the chaos of our lives, in the uncertainty of what may be coming, to take the time this morning to hit pause. To remember, to reflect on where you've seen God at work and ask him to show you where he's at work right now in your lives. Even when the Israelites were wandering in the desert because of their rebellion and sin, God was with them. He was among them still. And he is at work in your life today. As hard as things may be right now, as complicated as they may be, as anxious as you may feel this morning, God is at work today. The altars are open this morning. That's something I've grown to love about this church is that we have altars and we have opportunities to come and spend time with our Lord. And so as we slow down this morning, as we remember who God is and what he's done in our lives, let's ask him for faith to face the future together. And so, Father, this morning, as we, as we remember, as we reflect on the work that you've done, as you reveal to us and as you show us the work that you're doing right now in our lives, would you give us peace? Would you calm our anxiety and our racing minds? And would you give us the grace to trust you more? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning as we respond to you? Amen.